A Philistine's Guide to Literature, an unrefined analysis of superior written works, with your host, Zach Hall. All right, hi ho readers, and welcome to A Philistine's Guide to Literature. I am your host, Zach Hall, and uh, here we are. Again, I apologize, this is a couple days late. As some of you may saw on the uh, the, the Infinite Summer Reddit page, I, uh, I purposely did this one today on Thursday as opposed to last Saturday because I was off schedule, and I'm still off schedule and I'm going to continue to be off schedule, not as much in my reading, but uh, in my doing this podcast because I had friends in town a couple weeks ago, and then this past week I did a goofy midweek podcast, and now I'm doing another one, and then I'm going to be going out of town again uh, starting tomorrow, so you might not hear from me for a little while. So I wanted to give you something good on the way out. Um, However, I am going to keep this one relatively short. We went a little long last time, so this one will try to be about a half hour. So let's get going. Um, We last left off on page 258, and that was right at the start of the Port Washington tennis tournament, and pretty pretty happy with how that that went down because what I think it did was it it gave us a glimpse of the uh the ETA guys kind of doing their thing. We we hear a lot about them at the academy and a lot of stuff that surrounds tennis, but I think that tennis and their play really makes them who they are and it or perhaps who they are defines how they play tennis. So I think that actually having them go out in do the thing that they're, you know, put on this earth to do, some better than others, uh, really gives us an idea of, of, of who they are. So we, we see that the B-team guys, which are Stat and Pemulus, they're kind of just like, like their personalities are. They're kind of, you know, just happy to be there. They're, they're fine players, and they, they have their own way of doing things, but they weren't as caught up in the moment in playing well, they certainly weren't people who were uh, being spectated and stuff like that. So that that gave us a chance to kind of see them interact with each other, and it gave a lot of time for us to read about kind of their drug use, and it it talked about their dependency on some of these drugs in tennis, and it it, it gave us kind of an interesting opinion because I think that all of the ETA players have. Uh, a kind of a different take on drugs and and as we know a lot of them do drugs and a lot of them do maybe nothing too crazy but we know that uh, Mike Pemulus he likes to do all of these kind of hallucinogenic uh, chemical based drugs Hal is a big fan of uh, going and smoking weed down in like the subterranean basement duct work of the tennis academy and I thought the part where Stat was talking about how the drugs affect the players specifically how was certainly interesting because I think that I brought this up in a in a past episode that it seems like how his rise in tennis prowess because we know that he wasn't historically as good it's not that he was ever a bad player but more recently than not he's become the number two player at the academy right behind the Canadian John Wayne and Stat seems to think that his substance compulsion or his his need to go and do drugs he calls it a substance compulsion but his need to go and do drugs has a kind of relationship with his his tennis ability and i think that that's that's certainly interesting and it seems like that may because 
maybe tennis is because Hal plays at such a high level, and we see that in this chapter, that tennis that or that smoking weed is ultimately like this release for Hal, and that uh, Stat makes reference to him getting like a, a credit a, a bill from the from the psychic, and that him going down and, and smoking weed is actually maybe like his uh, his release valve from the pressures of tennis or something like that. I don't know. I guess that's just kind of what I what I took from that. It seems like Hal has a lot going on in his life and he needs this I don't know. This 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 drug use in his in his little world in order to kind of make sense of it all. I thought that the pemulus part was also pretty interesting too because we see that Pemulus, right before the Port Washington tournament, consumes a bunch of drugs. He uh, he does that really potent chemical-based substance. And right at the beginning of the, the tournament, he's throwing up in a bucket. But he's still able to kind of rally through in play. Um, I think this is important because, again, it speaks to Pemulus's character, kind of where he's at with the table tennis thing, but also his drug use. And kind of shows his personality in that you know this is this is what he's living for he's an excitable guy he's uh he's into you know these the the thrill of of going out and getting high or doing his thing and then is able to come back and function um but it's at a price you know he mentions throughout this entire little discussion of him you know having his head in a bucket and throwing up or whatever that uh he's you know not feeling too good so i think that with him I want to assume that, you know, he, much like Stat, who wants to be a dentist, is kind of at the end of the of the line here with the whole tennis thing. And I, I'm thinking that as we go forward, we're going to kind of see that that kind of falls to the wayside a little bit with him. And I make that point because I want to talk about John Wayne and Hal for a second. Because when John Wayne is playing, so he's the he's the number one 18 and unders boys player at Enfield Tennis Academy. He is from Canada, and they keep making references to him about going to the show, becoming a professional tennis player, and he becomes an automatic entertainer. He he gets put into the spotlight, and his job is to entertain the people. While his job technically is to play tennis. He's not necessarily doing it for himself, but he's doing it for his sponsors and the people watching him because they want to watch high-level tennis. This is important because we get to see that at Enfield Tennis Academy, that these guys are being groomed into entertainers. So the guys who are at the top and the gals who are at the top, they're kind of looking for a, a job in entertainment, if you will. Like, I again, I appreciate that they're tennis players, but entertainment, which is a huge theme in this book and something that we're going to talk about in a moment as far as it being, uh, you know, maybe this outside force that could be used for good and evil, is being brought onto these guys who are seemingly far away from it. Once again, I don't think that, you know, maybe in our, our real world here, that when we think of entertainment, while certainly, I guess, athletes are certainly entertainers in our world, I think that we most often think of, like, actors and and movie stars and things like that. And I don't think that, you know, if I were to say that, yeah, I watched, you know, 100 hours of Netflix, uh, 
this weekend. That may be... Well, now I feel like I'm contradicting myself because they're both kind of bad. I was about to say, if I watch 100 hours of Netflix or I watch 100 hours of baseball, you know, I guess they would both be kind of bad as far as a, you know, a dependency. Like, I'm, I'm doing too much of this thing standpoint. But I guess the point I was trying to make is these guys like Stacked and Pemulus, I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, who aren't maybe as good as at tennis and kind of appreciate that. I think they're able to uh, get out of this entertainment chokehold that may be inevitable for Hal and John Wayne. And I think that this, that, that so-called chokehold that I'm talking about may be a bad thing, especially given the direction that entertainment has gone. And as we read a little bit further in this section, we see that it's going and it's kind of its effect on the American people. And I am referring to, as we get a little bit further in today's talk, about the talk that Marath and uh, Helen Steeply had in Arizona about entertainment and, uh, America, and the American people's ability to to choose and kind of its connection to, you know, free will or something like that. So, yeah, the Port Washington tournament, I, you know, I, maybe I just made that way too profound or I, you know, overthought what that, what that tournament meant for me, but that's kind of what I got out of it. I think that people who, um, you know, are able to focus their attention elsewhere, whether it be Stack wanting to become a dentist or Pemulus and his drug use they're able to kind of get away from the grip that entertainment has on them. And I guess that's all a long way of saying that I'm, I'm worried about Hal coming into the future because, you know, if he does go into the show a lot, like, like, you know, Oren does as a professional football player, that we may start to see some of the same problems. We're going to talk about Oren in just a second, because right in between the Port Washington tournament and the Oren and uh, Joel, Joel Van Dyne portion is uh, we have a little section on the Ennett House again and Don Gately. And I must say, I, I think that uh, I, got some, I got some flack on some of my comments uh, last week about me kind of, uh, you know, shirking off the Ennett House stuff. I was like, yeah, I didn't really get it. I didn't really pay much attention to it. Um, and I must say that I think that this week I tried to give it a little bit more of my attention and kind of read into it and really all I got out of it was that I I I like I like these parts but I've been saying that about I I've I really enjoyed a lot of the drug parts whether it be that Ken uh Ken or Daddy guy or the Kate Grompet parts I maybe it's I just like their you know their problems and the things they talk about um and I think that what I took away from this this most recent little section in the Ennett house was that they talk a lot about addiction and I hope this isn't a spoiler to everyone, but someone had mentioned to me in uh, one of my comments that these people play a very important role in the story. And, and thankfully that's all they said, but so far it seems like Don Gately is, is the main character that we're meant to focus on when we, when we hear about Ennett house and the, what I can take away from him right now is that he seems like he's a he's a great guy and he's a stand-up guy. He certainly, you know, had his problems early on when he was a thief and he killed that that Duplass guy in the uh, in the chair in the kitchen. I know we talk about that every week and we haven't really uh, focused on the after effects of that except kind of just skirting around it a few times. But I think that Gailey is... Oh, and I will say right now, there's a thunderstorm going on, so if you hear some thunder, I do apologize. 
I think that Gately is is still in the Ennett house because he's afraid of the the outside world because he sits there as a like um he's like a kind of like a senior guy at the house so therefore he has like he's like a hired staff but like he's still there because I still think he needs the help that they're able to give him and that I don't think that he feels safe going out into the real world anymore. Maybe he's afraid of what he is capable of now that he's killed. Maybe he's afraid of going, uh, getting back on drugs. Maybe he's afraid of going out and stealing more. I don't know. But he observes these people and he makes judgment calls on them. And he, he's quick to, maybe not quick because I don't think that he's a, a judgmental guy or even has like a bad, he's not, he doesn't have like a, um, a bad, a bad ability to, you know, determine character. I think he's a, a smart guy and he's a good head on his shoulders and he can determine good people and bad people. Like this guy um, that he's been he's been talking to the uh, the Jeff Jeff guy. Um, that guy just seems like an ass. So, you know, I think that we all agree with that. But I think that even if he may be, I'm going to use the word better than these people in the Ennett house? He doesn't think so. And I'm interested to see why. Again, we haven't talked, we haven't, uh, we haven't read any portions that discuss, like, the, the time right after Gately had the murder and where he is now. So, like, his weeks or months or years in between uh, murdering the guy in the kitchen to coming into the Ennett house and getting to this place where he is you know, more or less cured of his affliction and now just working there as a staff member. I'd be interested to see what happened there that he is so afraid to go back to, if that makes sense. So moving on, we, uh, we get to see a glimpse of Oren and I'm, I'm glad that this happened because, and this was the, the first of two times this, this reading, you know, section or whatever, where, um, I really got like some hardcore theories going, and I'm excited to uh, to receive a barrage of uh, messages and comments about these theories when they're either most likely totally wrong, and everybody's like, "No, no, I'm yelling at the computer because you're wrong." So I want to talk about Oren, and I'm I'm going to kind of glaze over the part where it talks about him at ETA and not being the best tennis player and his ultimate rise to football because it looks like he was a mediocre tennis player who was really good at lobs. And then he one day picked up a football and kicked it and he kicked it really good. And, you know, it's all because it was what he's punting a football is basically lobbing a tennis ball, blah, blah, blah. So what I want to kind of focus on is his relationship with Joel. And we learned that Joel was, uh, and, and this was kind of um, interesting for me because I didn't, um, I, I think I thought that Joel was older, like much older and really, she's the same age as, as Oren, which is only, like, eight years older than, eight or nine years older than, than Hal. So Oren's really only, like, 27 or something like that. Or, you know, he's, he's not, he's not like an old man. But for whatever reason, I, I felt like Joelle, especially when she was Madame Psychosis, I felt like she was much, much older. And then when we learned about uh, her relationship with uh, James and Candenza, the father... I then thought that she was more aligned with his age. So being able to see that she was in college with Orin, albeit she's a year older than Orin, so let's say she was 30 
it, the time when we're talking about her, you know, committing suicide in the bathroom and doing all this stuff. Seeing her as a college student being a baton twirler and and stuff, I think was was good good for me to have that awareness of her, and especially going into this relationship with Oren. But I do want to talk about Joelle's what what she looks like because I I mistakenly said a few podcasts ago that Joelle was very very ugly and possibly deformed, hence why she wore a veil. Someone uh, brought it to my attention that she her her beauty or her her lack thereof was kind of ambiguous, so we never really know. But now we're getting some hints that she actually really is the prettiest girl of all time and that she is just so beautiful that people can't approach her. And that is her affliction, and that's why she covers her face so that she can interact with people because apparently she is so blindingly beautiful that that people just crumble around her and and she can't really hold conversations with people. She can't, she doesn't seem like she can function. So when we see that Oren is able to break into that and immediately he has a crush on her, needless to say, but it seems like she kind of returns that. It, it, it made me wonder is, is Oren maybe on the same planar level of attractiveness as Joel, that that he that a she was able to come and like communicate with him, but that also gave him the courage to talk to her. Now I get it that with any time you know maybe a guy going to talk to a girl, it's going to be a little tough. So we did see that awkwardness that Oren had, but he wasn't debilitated like I think the rest of the world is around her. So um, the reason why I bring this up is because it seems like when Oren Oren did a stint in the hospital on page two ninety one. And it says that the when Oren was in the hospital, the nurses in the hospital were filing for separation from their husbands after working with him. So it seems like he kind of has the same exact effect on the opposite sex and that he is so powerfully good-looking that women are willing to divorce their husbands for him, much like people can't interact with Joel. So that's my theory about that. However... I go for we go forward a little bit in this in this uh in this chapter and particularly when we get to the the footnote where Oren is talking to Hal which we will get to the meat of the footnote but uh it's footnote 110 it was a 20 pager it was absolutely brutal I think that's why I'm a couple days behind on the reading cuz it takes a whole day of reading and adds two more days into one that was uh that was that was horrific. I know I saw a bunch of posts on the Reddit page that a bunch of people felt the same way. They got to that point and they were like, Pfft. so fast forwarding a little bit to to go back into Oren. We see when he's talking to Hal that he finds Helen Steeply very very beautiful, and that he's attracted to her and the things about her. And we know that Helen Steeply from previous chapters is actually a man. And while that. Helen Steeply does everything, and her and her name, Helen Steeply, is actually Hugh Steeply, and she's a she's a government agent, uh, seemingly working for some kind of CIA spy type agency, and we see that Helen Steeply, while she tries her best to be a woman and do things effeminately and stuff, that she legitimately has you know fake breasts and uh, like, and I don't mean fake as in she got like implants. I mean she has like fake, like two balls of rubber uh, on her chest, and. It's very obviously, especially to Marath, who is talking to her, 
that that this is a guy in drag. So to hear Oren say to Hal, like, you know, I'm really infatuated with this woman. She's so beautiful, all this stuff. And he certainly does make allusions that he is attracted to her on a physical level. That made me completely rewind this Joel thing and rethink her and almost brought me back to the point where I was on my original theory that Joel is actually very ugly. And I say that because this was my reasoning behind that, that there, I, had a, I had a couple theories. So if Oren is attracted to Helen Steepley, who is very clearly a man. So I am by saying that I'm going to, I, I am hoping not to offend anyone out there, but I, I think what they're trying to say is that, that Hugh Steepley as a man is very large built, very manly, obviously, thus not making what the world has traditionally defined as a beautiful woman, like Joelle, quote-unquote, is. So the fact that that Oren finds Steeply attractive and finds Joelle attractive will lead one to believe that Oren is either A, face-blind and just can't tell, you know, one from the other, B, that he has an affinity for women that are ugly, i.e. Steeply's ugly, therefore Joelle is ugly, or see that maybe it's something sweeter and maybe deeper than all of this and that Oren is attracted to what's inside and and what's outside doesn't matter. I don't think that that's the case, however, because Oren has demonstrated to us that he is a shallow person and he is with a lot of women because he has all of these subjects and all these plans and it made some reference like during his first like semester of college he had already like slept with like a hundred girls or something like that. So I don't think C is very viable. So it brings us back to A or B. And I don't know. I, I don't think that, uh, I just don't know. Very interesting. I don't think the face blind thing, I don't think that's real. I don't think that's a real life. So it almost makes me feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe Oren has either grown from this Joelle thing or she messed him up or something or that he just, his if he's calling her the prettiest girl in the world, I mean, maybe she's not that pretty because he's attracted to Steeply. I don't want to spend hours on this. I'm just saying it's something to think about for those people who are like, no, you know, Joel's very pretty, and that's what we think. It's just I don't. I'm just trying to frame it a different way. That's why I'm here. So um, I don't know. That that really I like was like taking notes. I was like, I got it. I got it finally. So um, that brings us really to one of the, the more important parts we get to, and I'll, we'll, I'll come back to this, uh, this, this footnote 110 since I already brought it up. And that, that really did a good job for me. As, as I said, it was a horrible pain in the ass to read, um, but it, it certainly gave me a better understanding of this Onan, USA, Canada, Quebec, convexity, concavity thing. Um, even so much that I was able to draw a little diagram. And I'm, I'm sorry to say that I, I didn't understand the convexity or the concavity when they kept talking about that, but I do now see that it means that uh, when the United States calls it a, uh, a concavity, it means that it is going, it is coming in a concave, like a cup shape, that it is chunk that they have given to Canada. So it looks like someone cut like a little slice out of the United States gave it to Canada, and vice versa, when they call it the convexity, it is that they now have a hump where the, maybe the top of the United States is. And from what I'm, what I'm gathering, 
is that that area is actually the upper New York and uh, part of the um, of New England area because it, it references Syracuse not being Syracuse for very much longer and things like that. So since I guess what I took away from that, and I, I don't think it's correct, it was that with they have this that waste disposal company that like jettisons trash across the border or whatever into the concavity and i think that what had happened was that area had become so toxic and disgusting and stuff like that that the united states just gave it away and gave it to canada and canada was kind of pissed about that and quebec was kind of pissed too and it looks like I, I guess my my question that I that I pose to myself as I read more of this, and 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 I guess I pose to you all if if someone would like to answer it, is was Onan created as the United States plan to get rid of that like irradiated atomic garbagey dump like part of our country? Is that why? They brought all of this up. They brought the organization of North American nations together so that they can – they had the power to do that and, and give it up because it seems like that just pissed everybody off. And that's why Quebec and Canada keep talking about reconfiguration because I don't think anyone really wants to own that piece of land. So that's about my understanding of it. <laughs> you know, when I started just talking about it, I felt like I was really – I really had it. And now, you know, rehashing it right now, it seems like I don't. I, certainly more so than I did before I got into this, and I guess just going going with that, it's a good time to bring up the the, the latest conversation that Marath and Steeply had with each other, and it kind of starts to talk about the relationships, not of of the the physical boundaries of the countries, but but kind of the thought processes behind each country and and each country's motivation for doing things, and it seems like. Again, this is bringing up that this entertainment thing and, and the weaponized entertainment, which is that that tape that the Arab man watched and is killing everyone. Everyone acknowledges now, at least, and by everyone I mean both governments, their representatives being um, Marath, and and I, I appreciate that he's not a government entity and that he's working for like the wheelchair assassins guild people. But I think for my for the sake my own sake, he's representing Canada. He's representing Canada for me, and then steeply is is a representative legitimately of the United States of America government. And it, there seems to be some kind of conflict, and I was a little confused about who was talking when, but America, the, the government, the United States government is worried that, that this, this, this lethal entertainment tape is going to be, is going to end up killing a bunch of Americans because Americans seem to not have any control or because Americans have freedom to make their own choices. This is the point that Marath has brought up. Because Americans have the their freedom of choice, they're going to watch this incredible piece of entertainment and kill themselves. So the American government is worried that if that tape gets comes into America, people are going to want to watch it and they're going to die, which they don't want. Now, Steeply is kind of arguing arguing for America, saying, look, we got freedom to do it. We can do whatever we want. And Marath keeps posing this question about, like, well, look, are you a good father, the father being the government, if you say, tell your child you can either have candy for dinner or you can have vegetables for dinner, the, candy, the child's automatically going to choose candy, which necessarily isn't the good choice, and therefore you're not a good father. Uh, Marath is trying to say that the American government is doing a disservice to its people. 
where Steepley brings up the Canadian point in that Quebec wants to have this kind of socialist or not not socialist but I, I he mentioned socialism or communism or fascism I don't know but the Canadians want to have a choice however they want information on the choice they want to be told what choice to make so they want the uh, the the they want to feign freedom of choice however they want to be most informed by their government and I don't know I guess this is really just talking about you know the government's role in this whole thing and I don't know where this is going short of maybe in spite of Onan and the United States motivation and Canada's motivation to do things and Quebec's motivation to do things that these personality traits that Americans and Canadians hold are going to be telling of of the future and kind of the uh, the, the direction that this book is going in. Because right now I would like to say that I, I feel like in the next 700 pages we're going to have uh, certainly a lot of stuff going on, but we're going to see some major political change. I think that at the end of this book that is going to be the, the, the resolution is something's going to happen. I don't think it's just going to keep going around or people are, are dancing around something. I think that ultimately there is going to be a major political change or a re-sectioning or re-gerrymandering or re-whatever of the government and its people. And I think the world as they know it is going to change because it's talking about the end of the subsidized years and and stuff like that. So I don't know. I'm getting beyond what I do know. So I'm going to leave that there. But that's what I'm thinking if that – I hope that makes sense to everyone. So um, just in closing, like I said, I was going to keep it around a half hour today. Um, really like the part about Mario talking about him as a child. I know that a lot of us were struggling trying to get an idea of what he looks like, and I think that they did a phenomenal job of, uh, of, of describing Mario. And I'm sure this exists somewhere, much like the, uh, the Eschaton and, um, and, and some of the other character diagrams exist. But if it doesn't exist, I challenge anyone with artistic ability that is not myself out there to draw a picture of Mario in Candens. I, I would love to have some kind of an idea of, of what this guy looks like. Um, because he's just a, I don't know, he's, I, I really like the part where they talked about uh, his mother has faith in him being like this, the genius of the family, like it seems like hope is riding on Mario, and I think that there's certainly a connection, because, you know, if we, if we can, uh, it's, it's alluding that James and Tendenza created this, this film that's killing everyone, Mario seems to be the only one who has picked up his his talent for filmmaking or, you know, appreciates what he's doing or whatever. So Mario may be the key in this whole thing. I I legitimately don't know, but I just had that thought literally right now as I was saying it. Um, Interesting, interesting. So I'm going to finish it up here right now. Um, As you all can see, I'm leaving out a huge part of this, this section that I read, and it is the whole Eschaton part. And honestly, I'm going to skip over it. I'm sorry. I didn't like it. I thought it was kind of useless. The only thing that I would like to say about it is that it was a metaphor for kind of what I just talked about, this big political change, and the whole world is, is going to go to shit one of these days. And that, that, was, that was just our foreshadowing of this, is these kids at this academy are playing this game, and it's, it's showing them just going into complete chaos. World's colliding. World War Three 
him putting on the red hat and that was that was really all I took out of it. I I know that a couple of you in reading over some of the posts on the on the Reddit page were kind of the same way as me. They were like, "Oh my god, that part sucked. It was so long and it was brutal. Maybe sucked isn't the right word, but it was just super long and brutal and that may be that it was super important, but for me, like I said, I was only able to take away that metaphor that or foreshadowing that the world is going to go to hell. And uh, we're looking forward to it. We all know how it ended. So that's all I got for this week. I do appreciate everybody tuning in. I appreciate all the love I'm getting on the uh, on the SoundCloud page, on the iTunes likes, the reviews, the rates. Keep on doing that. Keep this thing going for me. Um, we're doing good. We're uh, we're we're almost we're almost halfway there in the next couple weeks. So, like I said, I'm going to be taking a little bit of break. Um, probably won't see me again until. Uh, sometime in august probably like the the first saturday in august or something like that hard to say um but until then keep reading feel free to shoot me any questions or emails uh from my website hallzack.com or on twitter at hall and boats uh feel free to comment on the reddit page and happy reading <laughs>